Gen Off Grid provides stations with reliable energy systems comprising of solar, lithium batteries and backup diesel, reducing current diesel usage by up to 90%. All systems are built and tested at our workshops in Broome, Caratha and Darwin, with proven performance in North Australian conditions, backed by a 10-year warranty, local support and remote monitoring. Visit their website to see systems in action on cattle stations, as well as commercial, ecotourism and industrial projects. Learn more at genoffgrid.com. That's G-E-N-O-F-F-G-R-I-D.com. Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Ariat Australia, the perfect choice for the tough jobs. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good, and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today. I'm David Pollock, and I'm from Woolene Station, and this is my story. Doggone kangaroos. We don't kill dingoes on Woolene. It's not a popular management strategy amongst an almost entirely pastoral community, many of whom have only recently, in the last 20 years, changed from sheep to cattle. We only made that change in 2006. Some of the south of the district still have sheep. I have been asked, do I not feel a moral responsibility towards the sheep producers? I do, but I feel a much greater responsibility to trying to halt the declining productivity of the pastoral resource that I manage on behalf of the Australian people. The most important task I have as a pastoralist is to manage the grazing pressure. But for most of my life, that task has been has seemed to be an impossible one. It's not that difficult to manage the grazing pressure exerted by sheep or cattle. We have much infrastructure and many procedures for that. The problem in our area has been the unmanageable grazers chiefly goats and kangaroos. In 1990, an aerial survey, sorry for the old data, but they only did it once, of the southern rangelands found that 61% of the grazing pressure was being exerted by kangaroos and goats, 49% and 12% respectively. In my opinion, we were fools to say that we were managing our land when we did not have control of over half the grazing pressure. But we did what we could. We always had a full-time kangaroo shooter, We collected 2,000 goats every year, and in many years, we made a handsome profit from them. But it was a false economy. It was not management. It was only harvest. We had no means by which to limit the grazing area of these animals, and they went wherever they pleased. Even after the most rigorous goat trapping, catching goats in the summer on the waters, and mustering regime, we always knew that we were only caught at most two-thirds of them leaving roughly 1,000 behind. That 1,000 often frequented the sweeter feed in the river systems, historically degraded areas that needed rest the most. 
This meant that it was practically impossible to rest that land because even if you moved the sheep out, 61% of the grazing pressure remained and the landscape could never recover. Pastoralists in the area told me that destocking would be a waste of time because the goats and kangaroos would just eat it all. In order to mitigate this problem, we turned off all the man-made watering points when we destocked, so at least in summer there would be no water and therefore no goats and kangaroos. But there were often natural waters about, especially after a thunderstorm moved through. After one such thunderstorm, I shot 3,340 kangaroos in one month on the dry Walene Lake bed, an area of only 5,000 hectares. The kangaroos had encamped there to eat all the grass that the destocking had allowed to recover over three years. We also had a kangaroo shooter who shot 1,500 in the same months. But since the dingoes have returned roughly nine years ago, things have changed. The kangaroo shooter still has a camp on Moulin, but in the past five years, he has only been here twice. The last time he came, he drove over 400 kilometres throughout the district and only shot 11 kangaroos. Such has been the efficacy of the dingoes in removing the kangaroo population. I estimate that the grazing pressure of the kangaroos on Moulin has been reduced by 90%. The reduction in goat numbers has been even greater, to the point where I would be surprised if there was a single goat left on Moulin. We have removed 90% of the unmatched grazing pressure on Moulin simply by not taking the time and effort to kill the dingoes. We now have new generations of important riparian trees such as she-oak, red river gum, coolabar and bottlebrush. Our river channels still have many of these trees, with the exception of the bottlebrushes, but they are all trees that are hundreds of years old and they were out of reach of introduced grazing animals when those animals arrived in the 1880s. Since they are very slow growing, few have managed to get past the increasingly hungry mouths since then. This left us with an expanding generational gap, which is a very dangerous position for the river system to be in, because without these trees there is little to slow the floodwaters where they rush through five metres deep. This increases the chance for large-scale erosion and drains water away from the surrounding floodplains where it could have been very productive. In the past 40 years, goats have been the major grazers of these riparian species, as sheep and cattle don't particularly like eating gum trees, although they don't mind eating the she-oaks. Since the dingoes have removed the goats, not just on Moulin but throughout most of the district, a new legion of these essential trees are once more lining the banks of the Murchison River. This effect has a direct link to beef production. As water is slowed in these channels by these trees, it is forced back out onto the broad flat floodplains where it should be to enliven the best pasture. Lots of people ask, what are we going to do when the dingoes run out of kangaroos to eat? I would say that we reached that equilibrium a few years ago after the numbers of kangaroos appeared to stabilise, the number of dingoes also appeared to drop. But in order to find out that the long-term consequences of not but in order to find out what the long-term consequences of not controlling dingoes was, we visited a station in the Walloona district who ceased killing dingoes 27 years ago to find out. When we visited that property, it was still very dry, but the landscape was still looking good. Palatable perennial grasses were still available. The first women we visited had a yard around it, and inside that yard was a calf that had recently been killed by a dingo. I asked the pastorist if he was worried about it. He said he wasn't, and that he factored it in up to 7% calf losses in, to dingoes in poor seasons like the one he was currently in. We saw no dingoes while we were there, 
nor did we see any more dead calves. That calf was unlucky. The yard separated him from his mother, and it had cost him his life. But some cattlemen are not so forgiving. It's difficult to watch the animals that you are responsible for get eaten by something else and not do something about it. But the bigger picture, at least in the case of Boleyn, is that we have a choice between 61% unmanaged grazing pressure or we accept a 7% loss in our calves during poor seasons. The choice is clear to me. It's important to note that we do periodically trade cattle and have had cattle for over half the time since 2011. While we don't have big numbers, the cattle we do buy are all drought affected and in very poor condition when they arrive. For two of the years we have had cattle, we have been in a declared drought area. So we have had very poor conditioned cattle in a very poor season, and yet to date we have not had any evidence of dingo attacks. We put this down to the distance that our cattle now have to walk to water. Our cattle do not need to move more than three kilometres from the water in order to get a feed of their favourite fodder, even in a drought. Because they are only a short distance from water, small calves can travel with their mothers to the water each day, and the cows can protect them from dingoes. In a situation where the cattle need to walk larger distances to get to water, which they would have done had we not concentrated on repairing the landscape, the calves would not have had the strength to accompany their mothers on such a large journey each day. So the cows would have no choice but to leave their calves for hours each day while they walk into the water. And that's when their calves get attacked. This is especially true during poorer seasons as the cows walk further out in search of food. Since we stopped killing the dingoes, we have also seen the complete disappearance of the fox. Foxes used to be very common, and they certainly had a large impact on things like native marsupials and ground-nesting birds. Dingoes also eat small native marsupials, but not very many. They are more interested in large marsupials, like the kangaroo. Dingoes also hunt over a much larger area than foxes, which increases the chance for small animals to hide. For example, the Woleen Lake area used to be the home of at least 20 foxes, whereas now only two dingoes frequent the area, and it is only part of their range. If you're a ground-nesting bird, you would prefer two part-time dingoes to 20 full-time foxes. Perhaps the best evidence of this transformation was discovered by BirdLife Western Australia when they found two adult painted snipe and four large chicks at the edge of the Woleen Lake. It was the second confirmed breeding of these birds in Western Australia for the previous 15 years. Feral cats are also affected by the dingoes' resurgence. While dingoes can't kill all of the cats, or perhaps even very many of them, because cats can climb trees, they do change their behaviour. Cats no longer frequent open treeless areas and they no longer hide under the troughs waiting for birds to drink above. Dingoes drink at troughs too.